Hello, good morning. It's good to be back here again. This morning, as uh, Pastor Caroline mentioned, we will be continuing from uh, Exodus study, chapter 3 and 4. Many of us, uh, the older generation or some younger ones still do, uh, grew up reading Reader's Digest. It's a good, uh, this year actually, I just look at it, uh, 98 years in, uh, in this business. Reader's Digest is a good value. There's a lot of uh, uh, inspirational story in there and you can improve your vocabularies uh, and also a lot of uh, interesting humor story in there as well. And one of it that I came across uh, is what they call employees' real excuses uh, of not appearing at work. Let me just read to you a few and see what you think. Employees' real excuses. An employee's false teeth flew out of the window while driving down the highway, and that's why he didn't make it to work. And the second one said, the employee said that he couldn't come to work because his fortune teller had asked him not to step outside of the house or he would suffer a brain hemorrhage. It's a good reason, isn't it? And then there's another one that said, an employee couldn't come to work because she accidentally got on a plane. And then another one said an employee had to attend the funeral of his wife's cousin's pet because he was an uncle and pallbearer of the pet. An employee refused to come to work because his fish was unwell. An employee was experiencing traumatic stress from a large spider found in her home and had to stay home to deal with it. An employee caught, her, caught their uniform on fire by putting it in the microwave to dry. And the last one said, well, I didn't go to work because I was in such a good mood and I didn't want to ruin it. Excuses, excuses. Someone said that you, if you want to be a judge of human nature, uh, you should study people's excuses. If you want to be a judge of human nature, you should learn how to study people's excuses. Excuses are lies, uh, well-dressed lies, uh, lies putting on a suit to appear it nice and good. And uh, today, following from our series, we're going to look at Moses' call. God calls Moses to go to Egypt to deliver people out of there. And he resisted the call. And he gave five reasons, five excuses. As I look at it, maybe to say that it's an, ex it's an excuse can be a bit too harsh on him. Because as I read through and study the text, he seems to genuinely believe that he, he's just not able to do, he's just lack of confidence and all that. We're going to look at it uh, later on. But I just want to say is that the chapter 2 finished off with this. During, in verse 23 of chapter 2, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because, sorry, because of their slavery, went up to God. And verse 24 says, God heard their groaning 
and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Remember the covenant that God made in Genesis chapter 12, that he's going to raise up the people, uh, multiply them, give them a land, and then as a group, as a nation, they're going to represent God on earth and bring blessing to the entire universe. So God remembered his covenant with Abraham and uh, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. But remember the words say, God heard their groaning and he remembered uh, we must know that the remember doesn't mean to say God actually forgotten about His covenant. And because of their cry and all that, God suddenly said, oh yeah, I remember that. It's not about that kind of understanding. It's to basically says that it is the right time for God to act now. It is the right time because God did say to Abraham, it will be 400 years before He act again. So chapter 3 moves, uh, it is a significant change now from God's providential work through directly using Moses uh, to, to intervene and bring about the changes through Moses and the miracles he performed. We move from God's silence over 400 years to God's speaking directly uh, to Moses from of all things in a burning bush. And so as you can see, as you begin to see that this is a call of Moses, God begins to call Moses now to go and be his messenger, be his deliverer, to go in there and deliver this group of people. Because the promise that God made to Abraham is coming to fruition. The people is already there. And then now the next step is to give them a land, a nation. And God has raised up Moses to go there and move these people out of Egypt into the promised land. And the call of God throughout the Bible, as you begin to see, that there are a few standard formula. There, there's always one confrontation. Yeah? Confrontation, as in he was arrested. He arrested his, uh, Moses' attention in the scene of the burning bush. There was a confrontation, and then there was an introduction whereby God would say, I am God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then followed by, there's a commission. I'm sending you now to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So there's a confrontation, there was an introduction, there's a commission. And then naturally, as you see other calling in the book of the Bible, there's always an objection. You see that in Gideon, you see that in Isaiah, you see that in Jeremiah, you see that in Ezekiel. There's always this objection, Lord, not me. So there's this formula that God seems to go through, confrontation, introduction, commission, and then naturally there's an objection. Then comes reassurance that God is going to assure them that He's going to be with them and He's going to empower them to do the work that He has called them to do. And then, lastly, there's this confirming sign to them that it is God that calls them. So you see that formula, although not, not a rigid formula in the sense uh, for many other call in the Bible narratives uh, follow a different pattern. But we can see this pattern uh, in Moses, in uh, Gideon, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel, and also in some of the disciples. And so I want to move now to uh, the five excuses. So chapter 3 to 4 as... Uh, Pastor Caroline and I, we were praying just now. We, we say that it's true. Chapter 3 and 4 could probably fill in many sermons. 
out of it. So we're going to do a big chunk in a sense. I'm going to do it from verse 11 to chapter 4, verse 17. To chapter 3, verse 11 to chapter 4, verse 17. Because that primarily deals with God's call. God's call. And Moses issued five excuses to say, Lord, no. So I want to look at that. So I, I will read some of the text uh, uh, as we go along, but some we just have to, to skip it over, and I'm going to assume that you will have to pick it up on your own when I give it to you. So five excuses I want to give to you, and then towards the end, I want to give you uh, a simple uh, application in the sense of looking at how Moses is so similar to Jesus, because ultimately it's pointing towards Jesus, who is the deliverer of our sin here. So look at uh, verse Chapter 3, verse 11. I'm going to skip the burning bush part of it and comes down to uh, Moses finally saw the burning bush and that burning bush, he heard an audible voice from God. Uh, and verse 11, or maybe I should read the, uh, verse 10. Uh, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So that's what uh, God wanted to commission Moses to go. And then, as I said, the formula comes about the objection. And Moses begins to say, verse 11, the first excuse is, Who am I? Lord, who am I? Verse 11 says, Moses said to, to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of of Egypt. Lord, you must, be, you, you must have mistaken. Who am I going to go to Pharaoh to ask Pharaoh to release the people, Israelite? Who am I? So the first thing Moses felt was inferior. He thought God had chosen the wrong person, the wrong person to do the task that is assigned to him. He felt inferior or inadequate. In that sense. So I like to think that he's genuinely thinking that I am really, in, who am I to, to really do such a big task of delivering such a big group of people? Uh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Look at God's answer in verse 12. Every objection comes with an assurance. Every objection comes with God's reassuring him, no, 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 that's not a valid reason not to go. Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. So God's answer to Moses' inadequacy and infer feeling inferior is his assurance that he is going to be with Moses. He said, I will be with you. And then he also provided a reason why he's going to lead these people out of Egypt. He says this, I will be with you, and this will be, with, this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So the purpose of delivering from slavery is to worship God. And if you do a direct parallel to what Jesus is, in a sense, delivering us from slavery, from sin, is to worship God. Is to worship God. 
You can't vacate something. You must fill that void with something else. Delivering for slavery to worship. And that is the heart of the gospel. It's delivering us from our sin so as to worship. Many people are giving uh, a, a negative way of freedom. Freedom from. When we think of freedom, it's often freedom from. Freedom from slavery, freedom from restriction. Free- so we, we tend to define freedom in a negative way. Freedom from. But the positive way of defining freedom is freedom for. Freedom for what? Freedom for. Not freedom from. Freedom for. As someone said that, uh, true freedom is always uh, doing what you ought and not doing what you want. True freedom is not doing what you want. True freedom is doing what you ought. We don't discover lasting liberty by indulging in whatever we want, but by letting God transform our desire. If you only do what you want, then I guarantee you, you will always forever be living in bondage. So freedom is not freedom from, freedom is also freedom for. For what? And God is going to deliver, use Moses to deliver the people to worship Him, to worship this God. And so his first objection is, who am I? Inferior, inadequate. And God's answer to him is, I will be with you. It does not matter who you are. I will certainly be with you. I do think that uh, the greatest trap in our lives uh, is not success, is not popularity, or is not power, but actually self-rejection. Self-rejection is a very true uh, thing that that has trapped many people in this world. And the pursuit of wealth, success, and popularity, and all these things, is in some sense as, a, as an antidote to self-rejection. But fundamentally, that itself will not eventually uh, curb. The only thing is to know that God accepts you, God forgives you, God receives you. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us to Him as God's beloved. And so, so that's first excuse uh, that Moses has, who am I? A sense of inadequacy, a sense of inferior. And God's answer is, it doesn't matter who you are, I will certainly be with you. And that is why Jesus said, if you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciple. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free uh, from this self-rejection. Number two, the second excuse, that uh, the second concern maybe, Uh, that Moses has is, who are you? That is in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Who are you? First one is, who am I? Now is, who are you? So the first concern was Moses felt inferior and now Moses felt a lack of intimacy. He doesn't really quite able to grapple with who God is. He did not know God enough to describe Him to the people and so he asked this question, what am I going to tell these people? 
Or what am I going to tell, tell uh, Pharaoh? Who, who is it? What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God's answer is, is one of the verses that, that describe amazingly who God is in the sense. God answer, I am who I am. I am all you need. Look at verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelite. I am has sent me to you. God identifies himself using a phrase which is actually a description or a statement. I am who I am or simply I am. Now other translations of this important phrase include I am what I am or I will be what I will be. And it could be taken to mean that which will be I am. That which will be or similar ideas. Even in Hebrew, this is a statement which is not merely uh, expressed as a name or a word or a description. This is a poetic expression of God's very nature. And as a name, God uses the phrase I am, indicating His eternal, uncreated, necessary, absolute existence. And in using this particular phrasing, God identifies Himself as the self-existent one, the eternal, unique, uncreated God. God just is. He is the ultimate truth. He is the only necessary being. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first cause. The question of who speaks from the burning bush is given an answer, which is both simple and yet profound. I am. And this is how Moses would have interpreted the response given the Hebrew words used. I am. His eternal, uncreated, necessary, absolute existence. I am. That's it. And you remember, fast forward to John chapter 8, when Jesus had this sparring conversation, chapter 7, 8. You know, there's this conversation between Jesus and the Jewish people, on and on, one question, one answer, one question, one answer. And they get upset because Jesus keeps saying that things that it just say is blasphemy in a sense. And then when you come down to John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus said to the Jewish people, your father Abraham, he would have rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He would see it and be glad. And then they said, you're not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Come on. And then Jesus replied this, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Even before your father Abraham was born, I am. And of course, they knew that name referring to God, which to them, how could this young man of 33 years old, or 32 maybe, I don't know, around, around about that time, claim to be before Abraham and claim to be God by saying before Abraham 
was born, I am. And as this, in verse 59 of chapter 8, they pick up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So who am I? Who are you? Lord, who, 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 am, I, who, who am I to say that who actually sent me to deliver these people? And God simply said, tell them I am. I am. I am that sends you. I am this eternal, uncreated, necessary, absolute existence. Unique, uncreated God is the one who sends me to ask you to release my people. So the first concern was, who am I? The first question was, who are you? And the third one is in chapter 4. I'm going to fast forward to chapter 4, verse 1 now. Chapter, oh, maybe chapter 3, the first excuse. The, the third excuse, the third excuse is, what if they do not listen to me? What if they do not listen to me? In chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? So Moses felt inferior, inadequate, he lacked intimacy with God, and now he felt intimidated. He was worried about how the people would react to him. And so God's answer to him was very simple. God showed him some signs that they would listen to, to, to him. God gave him three signs. God said, well, from verse uh, 2 onwards to verse 9 of chapter 4, God responds by equipping him with several convincing proofs. He said, look at the rod. Just throw, the, throw your staff onto the floor. And then the, the, the staff immediately turned to snake. And then asked him to pick it up again. It turns back to, to become a rod. And then he said, look at your own hands, uh, which turned into leprosy. And then after that, he was completely back to his own hand again. And then the third one is that if these two didn't work out, just take some water from the river now, uh, which will turn to blood when you drop it on the dry ground. So God again reassured him, uh, use this sign. You know, miracle, miraculous sign is not an end in itself. You know, in, in the New Testament, when God performs miracles, it's always a sign. Sign meaning it's pointing to something. When we drive, a, drive on the road or, or drive to, to interstate, there are a lot of signs on our road, and the signs are indicating you to something else. And miracles and all that in the New Testament is also a sign towards something. It's not an end in itself. It's not just heal you for the sake of healing. It's a sign towards Jesus who can heal you ultimately from your soul and delivering you and not just the physical side of the things. And here, Moses again feeling intimidated and God say, well, perform this sign. Perform this sign and then they might believe. So that's the third, ex third concern, third excuse that Moses again bring before God. Look at the fourth excuse or fourth concern that Moses has in verse 10, which is quite common to many of us. Moses said to the Lord, the fourth one, Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past 
nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I am slow of speech and tongue. So here again, Moses' fourth concern is he lamented about his weaknesses. Um, who would listen to him when he did not know how to speak? Because he doesn't speak well, he's not able to, to think on the spot and provide a coherent kind of response uh, to things. Some, some people I know can't even go on stage uh, to do Bible reading. You know, they are happy to do many things behind the scenes, but uh, they just can't think on the spot. In so Moses, one of them, said, I, I, I don't know whether Moses stutter or not. Imagine if he, he had to preach a sermon, if you're stuttering, it would take a uh, triple amount of time, isn't it? And so Moses was saying, Well, Lord, I can't speak. I'm not a good speaker. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Uh, maybe it's real, uh, maybe it's an excuse. I said, who will listen to me? And God's answer to him was very direct. In verse 11 and 12, God's answer is, guess who created your mouth? If I am the one that put your mouth there, I can give you the speech. He says this in verse 11 and 12. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now you go. I will help you speak. And I will teach you what to say. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it good, good assurance of people feeling inadequate? and people feeling that I don't have the necessary skill to do the task that God has given to me. And I, I, I mean, to some extent, I, I do think that uh, uh, Moses is genuine. To some extent, I do think that it is good to feel inadequate. And most of the calling of, where is Gideon? They say, who am I? I'm from the weakest tribe in Manasseh. You know, why do you call me? And uh, Jeremiah or Isaiah, or Timothy, I'm only a, a, a child, you know, how, how am I going to do this, Lord? And to some extent, it's good to, to, to feel that way, so that you actually depend on the Lord rather than your own strength. I would rather people feel inadequate and weak and all that, rather than people who feel confident. And, uh, and this morning at our, my, our prayer time, I was thinking about this verse, uh, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, which is so familiar to all of us, which often say, it is not by might nor by power, but, my, but by my spirit. As a pastor in ministry for many years, I can affirm to that, that it is truly work of the Holy Spirit. And we are just only an agent, we are just only an instrument. And every day of my life, I feel inadequate to continue the task that God has entrusted to me. And it's only by depending and relying on the Holy Spirit that I can continue this work that God has entrusted to me. Every time I step into a bookstore, I look at all the books there, I say, I need to know all this topic. Every day, I, I feel inadequate in many, many sins. And I can identify very much with uh, Moses, not in a, as an excuse, but a genuine concern in the sin. God, I can't speak. 
uh, Moses say, how am I going to speak to Mo, uh, Pharaoh, to ask Pharaoh to release these millions of people? Uh, I can't. I can't. Uh, but a yearning of it is to be used by God. I love this uh, little poem that written by Michael Lunick. Once I was at a friend's house and they have list, he cut off from, from newspaper and he stick it onto the, his fridge there. And I, and, I, and I love to read this. He said, what's the use of this little hand? Uh, what's the use of this little eye? Uh, what's the use of this little mouth when all the world is broken? Make a cake with this little hand. Make a tear with this little eye. Make a word with this little mouth when all the world is broken. Such simple and yet it capture the necessity of just using what we have. What we have, that's all. God is asking you to give, like what Moses, uh, God said to Moses, what is it in your hand? Your staff, that's all that God is asking. What is it in your hand? Use it for the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God. So the fourth uh, concern is God, uh, I have never been a good speaker, and God's assurance is, who made the mouth? Who made you? Who created you? If I created you, if I made you, and if I call you, won't I equip you? Won't I give the Holy Spirit to empower you to do what you need to do? Won't I give you the words that it is required to bring about of the release of the people? Won't I do all this? What I need you is to obey. What I need you to say, yes, that's all that you need from me, from you. That's what God needs from us. The fifth concern. Finally, this is a real, after all this camouflage, the final one is in verse 13. The fifth concern. I know you can find someone better. Lord, leave me alone. I can't do the work. Look at verse 13. Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. That's it. I can't do it. Lord, you can... Give me all this assurance about you are the one that make my mouth, you're the one that's going to give me the words and all that. Lord, please send someone else. Moses compared himself to others, even to his brothers. Did you realize that? He even compared himself with his brothers. Aaron is better. Aaron is a better speaker. So he compared himself to others, even to his brother, and judged himself incapable. He said, I can't do it. Please send someone else. And which is so common, isn't it? Of our normal, natural, human response. Lord, I can't do it. Please send someone else. And at this point, verse 14 to 16, God became angry with Moses. And then he said, the Lord anger burned against Moses and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if he, you were God to him. But take this stuff in your hand so that you can perform miraculous signs 
with it. Basically, he is saying, all right, I will let Aaron go with you, but you will take the lead. I, you will take the lead. I will supplement someone to assist you, but you will take the lead. God always send people to assist us. God always send people to assist us in ministry. That's why I always believe in Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all your need according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Always supply resources to do the work that is necessary for Him. Uh, many of us suddenly, after the passing of Ravi Zacharias, uh, start to listen to his sermon and all that. Uh, but many people do not know uh, someone behind Ravi Zechariah. You can look it up, but a guy by the name of D.D. D.D. Davis. You should listen to the story of this man. That it is because of this man that he was able to financially support Ravi Zechariah International Ministry at the beginning foundation of his ministry that propelled him to, to international ministry. Because of it. he said, I can't speak. I'm not a good speaker. I can't convince anybody, but I have one gift. I only have one gift, did he, David, say? I know how to make money. I can't speak, but I know how to make money. And with that ability, he supported Ravi Zacharias. And not just only he giving money. A lot of us give money. What he did was, he rallied around a group of his friends, businessmen. He organizes breakfast, a seminar weekend away. And he paid for every expenses and invited Ravi Zacharias to speak to this group of business people. And he helps to connect and raise funds so that Ravi Zechariah International Ministry can go on to do greater things. So he uses his gift. So God always sends people into life to aid you in your ministry that is ahead of you. Uh, the fifth concern, I know you can find somebody better. God simply said, well, I'll, I'll send Aaron to assist you, but you will take the lead. Five excuses, five concerns. I do think that these are genuine concerns. It's not just excuses where he doesn't want to do the job. He's genuinely concerned about his, his inadequacy and all that. Let me, in my, in my conclusion, give you two things. Uh, two things that I want to bring across. As we often said, uh, in the book of Exodus, Moses, the, the whole book of Exodus is about God delivering people. And you can see that mirror in, in, in Jesus, New Testament, New Covenant, of God delivering us, saving us from the bondage of sin. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, if you are taking notes, I want you to write down Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 and 18, it talks about there is a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 and verse 18, where Moses tells us something. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. Way back in Deuteronomy, God said in the future there will be a prophet just like Moses that God is going to raise up. And then in verse 18, He said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command 
him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. No prizes for guessing who that prophet might be with hindsight. And that is Jesus. But John the Baptist wasn't 100% sure that he sent some people to his cousin, remember? When he was languishing in prison, he said, well, are you the ones to come or are we supposed to expect someone else? Because Jesus was doing all this thing that is contradict to what John the Baptist expects of this Messiah. But again, John the Baptist has limited vision too. Uh, unlike Nathaniel or, or unlike uh, Philip, he felt pretty sure that he told his brother Nathaniel, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Let me just give to you a few things that I mentioned just now. How similar Moses is to Jesus. He's, number one, he's definitely from among the brothers of what Deuteronomy chapter 18 talk about. So that's a good start. The prophet must be Jewish. And the heritage and Jesus' heritage was from the tribe of Judah. And both of them were shepherds. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And Moses also tended sheep, figuratively and literally. Both were sent to bring salvation after 400 years of apparently inactivity from God. The Israelites in Egypt were bonded for 400 years. And then the in-between Old Testament and New Testament is known as the intertestament period of 400 years silent as well. Uh, both fasted for 40 days and night. Uh, Moses while on Mount Sinai and Jesus in the desert while being tempted by Satan. 40 days before receiving the law and before he ended up for ministry ushering the grace. If I may add also something that I, I heard one speaker spoke about while in Bible college, is about twice Moses, uh, uh, God's finger of God wrote on the commandment. Remember twice? First time he broke it, twice. And in John chapter 8, when Jesus spoke to the, to the women caught in adultery, twice Jesus gone down and wrote on the sand uh, as well, replacing uh, a law, moving from the law to grace. Both spent time in Egypt as children, Jesus had to be hidden there for a while as a baby to escape Herod. Both were born at a time when evil kings pronounced death to all Jewish baby boys in the area. Remember that? Both were called by God to lead and save. Both did miracles to testify to their God-given authority. Both instituted a covenant of blood that brought salvation for many. Moses with the Passover lamb's blood on the doorpost. And Jesus, Lamb of God, brought in the new covenant in His blood on the beams of the cross. Both were given God's public stamp of approval with an audible voice from heaven, uh, heard by the crowd, Moses at Sinai, and Jesus during the baptism. Both gave up great riches to lead a humble life of service and poverty. Moses from the palace of the king of Egypt, and Jesus from the heights of heaven. And both of them were noted for their great humility. Moses was the most humble man on earth, mentioned in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, whereas Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, about God descending from heaven, from palace, all the way down to basement. Both were initially rejected by the Jewish people when the foretold salvation didn't seem as if it was going to happen. 
both miraculously provided the people with bread to eat, manna sent from heaven for the Israelites, and Jesus famously multiplied, fed the multitude twice. Seven weeks after the Exodus, the Israelites waited upon God to receive the Torah, the law. Now that they have been saved, how then should they leave? Seven weeks. And seven weeks after the resurrection of the disciples waited as Jesus introduced and sent forth the Holy Spirit to them, which what we call Pentecost. Both their faces shone with the glory of heaven, as was noted by people who saw them. And Moses had to wear a veil over his face because it was beaming so much. And Jesus' disciples saw his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses chose 12 spies to explore Canaan, and Jesus chose 12 disciples. Moses appointed 70 rulers over Israel, and Jesus sent 70 disciples out to share the gospel. There are so many more similarities. If you feel like digging it in, these are just a few of it that I've shown to you. Of course, there are a few crucial differences too. Moses was not perfect and did not cross into the promised land, whereas Jesus is perfect and he went ahead and prepared a place for us. So Jesus, remember the first point that I mentioned that God set us free, bondage, is so that we can worship God. Let me finish with this. On Thursday morning, uh, I, I woke up earlier than usual. I don't know why, maybe it's a bit too hot. Or I woke up about 5.30, lying in bed. I said, I'm not going to get up 5.30. It's still very cold, so I tucked myself in the bed. But I'm way awake. My mind was active and, and awake. So I usually will read or use my phone and, and read the Bible or audible Bible read to me or listen to sermon uh, just to wait for time. But that morning, I turned to uh, uh, read my favorite devotional author, Oswald Chambers. Uh, ever since in 1993, before I went to the mission field, someone gave me that book. Uh, it has been my constant companion throughout my Christian journey. Other than the Bible, I think I must have read that the most. Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. And I'm sure some of you uh, have came across that before. And for many years, for a youth, 21st birthday, I always give them a copy of Oswald Chambers. And on June 18, uh, every time I go there, there's some God's word for me that I needed it. On June 18, my utmost for his highest, I sat, I lying in the bed, and reading that on my phone, it says this, which I thought, uh, I want to conclude my sermon with this, this point. He said, Jesus did not say to make converts to your way of thinking, but he said to look after his sheep, to see that they get nourished in the knowledge of him. We consider what we do in the way of Christian work as service. Yet Jesus Christ calls service to be what we are to Him. Not what we do for Him. What we are to Him and not what we do for Him. That's very important. Discipleship is based solely on devotion to Jesus Christ. 
not on following after a particular belief or doctrine. Because in Luke chapter 14, it says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, he cannot be my disciples. In this verse, there is no argument and no pressure from Jesus to follow him. He is simply saying, in effect, if you want to be my disciples, you must be devoted solely to me. And a person touched by the Spirit of God suddenly says, now I see who Jesus is, and that is the source of devotion. And then he said, today we have substituted doctrinal belief for personal belief. And that is why so many people are devoted to causes, C-A-U-S-E-S, to causes, and so few are devoted to Jesus Christ. People do not really want to be devoted to Jesus, but only to the cause He started. Now, this is, this is a, it's not just a semantic word, but I think there's a whole uh, area where it can bring you down a certain path just by that, that alone. We are called, the primary calling of God, as we talk about the calling of Moses, the primary calling of God is to Himself first is to himself. The cause and all that will naturally come. But the foundational part of it, Jesus' calling is always to himself. But many people have not made the distinction, but only devoted to the cause, to the task, to the work, but not to him. And he went on to say this, and I conclude, he went on to say this, Our Lord's primary obedience was to the will of His Father, not to the needs of people. The saving of people was the natural outcome of His obedience to the Father. And He said, if I am devoted solely to the cause of humanity, I will soon be exhausted and come to the point where my love will waver and stumble. But if I love Jesus Christ personally and passionately, I can serve humanity even though people may treat me like a doormat. And the secrets of a disciple's life is devotion to Jesus Christ. And the characteristics of that life is its seeming insignificance and its meekness. And yet it is like a grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies. It will spring up and change the entire landscape. The primary calling while it is Moses calling, the primary calling is devotion to Jesus. And the cost and the work will come. May God bless you uh, as you reflect on this calling. Let us pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is so rich. There are so little time uh, to explain. It just not do justice sometimes for us, Pastor, the amount of work that we have done, the reading and the studying, the digesting and the meditating, uh, yet so little time we have to unpack it all. Uh, may you richly bless us as we dig into your words, as we study. May your word become our food for our soul that sustain us, that make us want more and grow. And when that is happened, 
then what we do for you become natural. But our primary calling is our devotion to you personally. If anyone come to me, the devotion is to you first and foremost. And so we thank you for your calling. Thank you, Lord. Bless each one of us this week as we go about doing wonderful things for you, bearing in mind that every act, every word, everything that we do, uh, you can use it all for, to impact people's lives for eternity. May the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes. May the love of God be reflected in your hands. May the wisdom of God be reflected in your words. And may the knowledge of God flow from your heart that all might see and seeing they will believe. May this God be with you now and forevermore. Amen.